Okay, so we're going to be reading in the story of Joseph, starting in Genesis chapter 37. We're going to start in verse 1 and go all the way through to the end of the chapter, not Genesis. (laughs) (laughs) Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made a a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing in the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one, o- to one another, Here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to him, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. When Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hands be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, 
This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol, my son, mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Thanks, Jermaine. Do you want to take that with you? Do you want to give it to Ash? Let's pray. Father, we ask that throughout these weeks that we're in these extraordinary chapters that you would speak to us, each of us, in a really significant way. Father, I know that often sermon series are just another building block in our uh, journey toward you and with you, but we pray that I Am Joseph would be revolutionary for each one of us in some way. We're asking to be marked by you through this series. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. So today we begin our I Am Joseph series. It uh, runs from Genesis 37 through to Genesis 50. We're going to be looking at, at it in several episodes, but please, over the week ahead, uh, read 37 through 50 so you get the, uh, the sweep of the story. Just a heads up for next week, uh, part two is entitled Seduction. It's a bit steamy, but it will be a lot of fun and I hope very informative, <laughs> instructive to us. Uh, this week, part one, I'm just entitling simply Calling. Calling. And our headings are The Danger of Idols, Finding Your Calling, and Resting in God's Providence or God's Sovereignty. So, heading one, The Danger of Idols. Let's look at this family. Looked good from the outside. Large, uh, prosperous, lots of sons, which was important in this era. Look at it from the inside. Chaos. You've got this uh, young one, Joseph, bringing a bad report in verse 2 to his brothers. Commentators say he wasn't just whining about them, he was making stuff up about them. Uh, Joseph tells two dreams to his brothers and his father. One is bad enough. I mean, they were great dreams, right? They were from God. But J Joseph, learn your lesson. You tell a dream once and it goes down like a ton of bricks. Pause on telling them the second one that's almost exactly the same as the first one. So it does beg the question, um, Joseph was more than an obnoxious teenager I think there's a case he was borderline sociopath, not extreme sociopath, but so a sociopath is someone who's antisocial, who doesn't get it socially, and who doesn't have a conscience that, that works so socially. He's 17, he's not a nipper. He's not yay high, he's yay high. This is a big boy. All is not well with young Joe. His brothers, verse 4, 5, and 8, we're told that they hate him three times. The father, Jacob, blatant favoritism of Joseph. We're told in verse 3, he loved Joseph more than the others. It 
damaged Joseph, it exasperated the brothers, as we shall see. So this is a dysfunctional family. There's genuine brokenness in play. Can anybody relate? If so, here's some really good news. I've got an encouragement, and I've got a, a caution. The encouragement is that God brought them all through. He brought the whole family through. Read through to chapter 50. God brought this dysfunctional family through. It took time, but it happened. The caution is, watch out for idols. What do we mean by idols? Well, psychology 101 is we've, all of us, got an innate need for satisfaction and a sense of significance. So what we do, because that's a need in all of us, what we do is we scan and then we fixate on something or someone that we think will provide us with the satisfaction and the sense of significance that we need. Now the gospel of Jesus, the Christian gospel, is that very good news, the void of satisfaction and significance, I'm talking ultimate satisfaction and significance, can be filled by Jesus. So Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Through the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, God says, why do you spend money on that which doesn't satisfy? Jesus said, I am the water of life. You drink on me, drink of me, you won't thirst again. The Christian gospel is that Jesus satisfies. The creator only can satisfy this longing in the created. Book of Ecclesiastes says that each of us has got a God-shaped hole, and I'm paraphrasing, a God-shaped hole in our heart, an eternity. God's put, put something of eternity in our hearts that can only be satisfied by an eternal God. That's the Christian gospel. Satisfaction from Jesus. Things like money, things like relationships, be they romantic, family, friendship relationships, these things are not bad, but they're not ultimate. And we must not make, try and make potentially good things ultimate things. We must not lay on them deity. Because not only will they not satisfy us, it's way worse than that. By so doing, they actually damage us. And often when we preach and talk about satisfaction and idols, we leave it like this. Jesus is better. So be satisfied in him. Girlfriend, boyfriend, career, money, it'll ultimately let you down. Jesus is better. Totally true. But actually, it's more sobering than that. Deifying things that are not God's, looking to them for significant satisfaction, will damage you and damage people around you. That's what's going on here with this family. We've got, we've got Joseph, I'm, I'm sorry, we've got Jacob spoiling Joseph. He fixated on Joseph, and that caused damage. So Pulitzer Prize winner Ernest Becker, uh, he writes about this. He says the love partner, now in this case it's a son, Joseph. The love partner, could be a friend, you, spouse. The love partner becomes the divine ideal within which to fulfill one's life. Oh, fulfill me. And all spiritual and moral needs now become focused on one individual. 
Becker says, it's impossible to get blood from a stone, to get spirituality from a physical being. No human relationship can bear the burden of Godhood. And the attempt has to take its toll in some way on both parties. This is the reason for so much bitterness, shortness of temper, and recrimination in our daily family lives. So Becker was not writing about this story, but that's what's in play here. Old Jake didn't discipline Joe. He spoiled him. He exasperated the brothers. It took its toll on Jacob, Joseph, and the brothers. Now, interestingly, this fixation on an individual, this trend to find your emotional strength in an individual, this was a pattern in Jacob's family. It was like in the family tree. So we need to watch out for this. Um, Jacob's father, so there's Joseph, Jacob's his father. His father was Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. For, for whatever reason, Jacob felt like second best to Esau. He was so desperate to have his father, Isaac, give him a sense of significance that he actually tricked his father into giving him a blessing. That's how desperate young Jacob was. He tricked his father into giving him a blessing, dressed up like Esau. Then he leaves, flees and so on, because Esau's bleak with him. Um, he falls in love with a girl called Rachel. Man, he's got eyes for Rachel. Jacob didn't get sense of satisfaction from his father. So now he's trying with Raquel. And the guy is so fixated with Rachel. You, he, he's so fixated with Rachel that he actually ended up marrying the sister and didn't even realize. I don't know what was going on. You can't make the stuff up. Read the story. But he had to wait another seven years till he could get to marry Rachel. He, he was absolutely fixated on Rachel. Now, great to be in love, but to be fixated and have your emotional center on someone, it's going to damage. That's why Christianity isn't just nice news. It's a complete rescue from disaster. So he fixates on Rachel, and then the poor thing uh, dies giving birth to Benjamin. Rachel had J Joseph and Benjamin, and she died in childbirth with young Ben. And so old Jake now, he ain't got no one to fixate on. And rather than learning the lesson <laughs> that you fixate here, oh, he repeats the same thing. Didn't work out with his dad, didn't work out with Rachel, so now he fixates on Joseph. And it becomes all about Joseph. Joseph's his emotional center. Question for us is, of course, where is our emotional center? To have things like money, friendships, wives, uh, probably one would be advisable. <laughs> um, girlfriends, careers, um, healthy, healthy nationalism, health, healthy love for America. To have these things in play is good and proper. To make them ultimate is dangerous. It's not just ill-advised, it's dangerous. It's not just Jesus is better. It's like, do not put your emotional center. Do not lay on American politics or your bank balance or your career 
or your new boyfriend, do not lay on them the burden of godhood. They cannot bear up under it. And you will be disappointed and frustrated in them and things will spiral. So where's your emotional sense of parents? Is it one of your children? Maybe it's all of your children. If so, um, you're vulnerable because they're, they're going to let you down because they're not God. And you're gonna, probably going to either over-parent them or under-parent them. Uh, those are the two dangers in parenting. If your emotional center is yourself, if, if life's all about you, then you'll probably find you over and under-parent your children as well. I did this in the early years. My emotional center was PJ Smythe in the early years. Now I'm, I'm just perfect. My total emotional center's on Jesus. <laughs> but when I was young, and what I did with, with poor old Jack, my firstborn, he can't really remember it, thank, thank God, but um, I would either over-parent or under-parent. So I would over-parent because I wanted to get him obedient so I could get on with my very important life. Or I would under-parent just apathetic parenting because I wanted to get on with my very important life. We can be blind to our children. Jo- Jacob was blind to Joseph's issues in the main. It can, it can blind us to our children, uh, their faults and where they need help. Uh, spouse or girlfriend, boyfriend, partner, don't do it. They're good, but they're not that good. Kids, if you're a kid, I'm thinking now of when Jacob was a boy and Isaac was his dad and Isaac wasn't providing him with the kind of emotional support that he needed. Do you know what? Whether you've got a good earthly father, an average earthly father, or a poor earthly father, don't make them your emotional center. As you're younger, yeah, you'll need their affirmation. It'll be tough if you don't get it. But as you come through into adulthood, if you realize, I've got a dad-shaped hole in me, don't Don't blame your dad for long. (laughs) Look to your heavenly father. Even if you have an amazing dad, sometimes, sometimes paradoxically, having the world's greatest dad can actually cause you to be over-dependent on them for too long. And you you never actually plug in as you should to your your heavenly father. Dads be, let's be the best dads we can be. When we find ourselves looking back, think we didn't do very well, let's pray that our kids find their emotional center in their heavenly father. If you're nailing it, and you nailed it, you did great, as far as you can tell, still pray as hard that they might find their emotional center in their heavenly father. The point, all of us must not bow down, not look to some God, small g, for satisfaction and significance. We must look to God, big g, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit of the Bible, They're the only ones who can satisfy us, help us be emotionally and spiritually balanced. So, beware idols. Uh, Heading number two, finding your calling. One of the great things about the story of Joseph is that it's a story of a man who really has an extraordinary life. It's not absolutely clear how many years, he starts at 17 by the time he's prime minister. I mean, these are epic years in his life, the progression through Genesis 37 uh, through 50. It, it's just, we salivate as we see how God used this man's life season by season and ultimately in, uh, to be 
prime minister of Egypt. So let's talk a bit about calling. In terms of God's calling for you, his purpose for you on earth, think general and think specific. The general call of God is for all of us, all mankind. We find it in scripture, everywhere. It's things like believe in God, love the Lord your God, Love him through, know him through Bible reading, through prayer, be part of the church, the family of God, be generous with your money, um, fulfill the dominion mandate in Genesis to fill the earth and multiply through, through having a, a job, contributing to the, the peace and order of society. Those things we all pursue. General will of God. Then there's the specific will of God. Well, okay, so I need to be in a church, but which church? I need to have a job. Uh, which, which job? I need to live somewhere to serve Jesus. That's the general will of God. Well, where should I live? Could live in a number of different places. Where, where should it be? What, what's my specific purpose? So you think acting. If you're an actor, there's certain things that all actors do. Learn your lines, project your voice, wear makeup. If you are not good in doing the general things, the, the producer's not going to entrust you with a main or medium-sized role. He'll just keep you in the choir or in the, the villagers. How many of you were just villagers at elementary school in the production? <laughs> I was a villager. You don't get, you know, similarly, we need to be faithful with, with the general. In fact, Luke, Luke 16 says, if we're not faithful with little, God won't provide us, uh, won't, won't entrust us with much. So anyway, general, specific, we're asking, how do, we, how do we find the more specific will of God? Well, we've already said, do well in the general, and then you will come into the specific. But a few other thoughts uh, from the, the life of Joseph here. Think journey, not just destination. So Joseph had a wonderful climax to his calling, prime minister of Egypt, saving the known world from terrible famine. But don't just think destiny, um, destination, think journey. Must be journey, because God used Jacob, uh, God used Joseph along the way. Really, from the pit onwards, he was really using him in a very positive way. This was all his calling. And if you or I fixate on that, I wonder what it is, that thing, then we can jeopardize and compromise the journey. We can either take missteps because we're looking, we wander around with our head in the clouds. God's got such a destiny for me. I'm not in it yet, you know. But God's got, and you can misstep. You can trip. You can use people as stepping stones. If it's all about getting there, I don't know quite know where that is, but like Joseph, I'm going to be prime minister of Egypt or something. You, you can step on people along the way. You can dishonor the season. You, you, you can miss it. So we must think journey. And hey, your journey might end here. And then your great journey in heaven begins. We, we don't know. That's in the Lord's hands. We focus on journey and also destination. But equally, if you're just a plodder, and plodding faithfully in the same direction is good, but if you're just a plodder and you don't have any sense of God's going to use me more in the future, then you can really slip into just lack of faith and going through the motions. One of the prophetic words we had an, a, a few months ago um, in a meeting was, many of you have been in that meeting, the picture was um, someone was rummaging around in a theater behind the stage. 
and they found this play that had Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, and Act 4, and they thought it was complete. And then, to their surprise, they found Act 5. There's more. It goes on a bit longer. And the prophetic word that God was saying to people, some people, there's an Act 5. Dial in. Believe me, there's an Act 5 for your life. Might have got a bit soft, apathetic, might have got older and think you're done. No, there's an Act 5. Caleb, give me this mountain. He'd been alive many decades. He's saying, give, give me this mountain. It's both journey and it's destination. Honor both. Believe for both. Second thing is your specific calling will probably be vague at first. So Joseph had these two dreams. The message of the dreams was he's going to come into a place of influence. Details not given. Except that it looked like his brothers, his family would would be some of those who were under him. But details were not given. And that's often how it starts. Uh, we, we sense things early on in our lives. Or maybe a parent will sense something for, for their children. Beware of getting too specific too early. So if you'd asked me in high school uh, what I thought God was going to call me to in my life, um, I would have said Christian rock star, all for the glory of Jesus, you understand. All the adoration and the fame and the girls in the front row, it would be all for you, Jesus. Um, or Christian sportsman. Because I was in a band. I was lead singer. If we put enough effects on my voice, we could make it sound just about okay. And I was reasonably good at, at a number of sports. And I, didn't, I loved Jesus, but I thought church was rubbish. So I thought, you know, I'm going to really help people think Jesus is cool by being a Christian rock star or a Christian sportsman. That will help people to Jesus. Now, what was going on is in my heart is I really did want people to come to know Jesus, but I didn't know that it was going to be through being a leader of Christians, leading churches, and preaching. I didn't, I didn't know it was going to be that. But that there was a vague thing I just... God, I want to help people know you. And I'd have been wiser to hold on to that rather than fixate on... <laughs> you, you might love helping people. Maybe you're a middle schooler here, maybe in your 20s, God, you just love helping people. And your parents are saying, well, that means you're going to be a doctor. Maybe, maybe. Um, maybe you love inventing things. Friends or mums always catching you, you know, little experiments and things. Oh, you're going to be a scientist. Maybe. Or maybe God's just putting you this inquisitive nature, this creative nature. It's, it's often vague. Vague? Doesn't, you don't want to be vague forever, right? But vague keeps us in James chapter 5, trusting God. Do not say, tomorrow we'll go to that city and do such and such. You do not know what tomorrow might bring. So there's a, there's a, there's a purposefulness. Lord, I want to influence for you. I, want, I think that, I think that. But the much bigger story is, but Lord, I'm yours. And I want you, you, you hone me. You bring me down the funnel from general to specific. You do that, Lord. And thirdly, make the most of mentors. The, the real... 
kind of thing that I miss in this story is I, I was expecting the, to read the verse that says, uh, and, jo- and Jacob sat down with Joseph and encouraged him in his sense of calling and coached him on how to handle it wisely. I was looking for the verse that said, and Jacob, the father, sat down with the brothers and said, I know Joseph is being a pain in the neck, but we're called to love him and to help him through. I know you want to ring his neck. Don't do it. We're going to help this boy. I didn't read that verse. I didn't read the one that says, and two of the brothers sat down with Joseph and said, bro, not cool telling us that dream twice, but we are for you. I didn't read the verse that says, they put their hands on his shoulder and said, Joseph, we're your older brothers and we're in your corner for life. And we want to give you some advice. God is with you. He's put a dream in your heart. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but we're going to believe God with you for that. Honestly, we're all finding it quite hard, this business about bowing down to you, but if God wants us to do that, even though it's counterculture, we're up for that. But Joseph, we want to advise you X, Y, and Z. We didn't read the bit that Joseph sniffed and said, thank you so much. We didn't read the part that said, and Joseph's uncle or friend or pastor or blimmin' anyone got alongside him. We just read that they said, oh, millennials, Generation Z. No one took him out for a cup of joe. Coached him. God saw him good. God mentored him. God mentored him through the school of hard knocks. God mentored him through Potiphar. Potiphar was good to him, we'll see. God mentored him through the chief of the prison, good to him. God mentored him through Pharaoh. There were probably there were other, God saw him good, but the fact that God sees people good in this story doesn't mean that we shouldn't log. It's our privilege to mentor, particularly the next generation. So a few characteristics of mentors. They're secure. The brother and father, as soon as they heard the dream, they went to themselves, didn't they? Oh, can't even, can't even process this because I'm not at the center of this dream. I'm just the brother. We're just the brothers. There was an insecurity that helped them from, that prevented them from helping Joseph. We need to be secure in the Lord. Characteristic of mentor number two, we, we need to spot the gift amongst the garbage. Joseph was just full of garbage, but there was a gift there. What gift was going on? There was a beginning of a prophetic gift there. The guy had two dreams. He's only 17. No one logs that. There was the embryonic leadership gift in play. You don't get dreams like that without having some kind of sense of, I want to lead. No one logged it. It was just you dreamer instead of, hmm, dreamer. Something we can work with. You see, option one is to think stupid, immature dreamer. Needs to be cut down to size. That'll disciple him. Option two is, My goodness, our boy is beginning to dream. Oh, for more millennials. Gen Zs with a sense of destiny. 
think Joseph might have a leadership gift in embryonic. Game on. How can, I, how can I help? How can I coach but not crush? Because he does need coaching. He, he, he doesn't need crushing. So we spot the gift in the garbage. And thirdly, mentors see opportunities for discipleship. So when a mentor, someone with a coach's heart, a mentor's heart, when someone younger and dumber does something young and dumb, they may have a moment of exasperation, but they're thinking, excellent, this is an opportunity for me to coach. So someone doesn't show up for a second time on the Sunday serving team that they're scheduled to be on. The Sunday serving team leader doesn't matter away. He or she smiles and thinks, fantastic. I've got something I can have a conversation about. Hey, how's it going there? You know, remember you said you were coming, you, you didn't quite make it e- each time. What, 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 was, what was going on there? Because we don't just leave, we're not just trying to get the job done. We're trying to bring each other through in the Lord. It's part of being a family. We're, we're not the kind of church family that when someone just you know, goes off on their own mission, that we just mutter and mutter and hate. Verse 4 hate, verse 5 hate, verse 8 hate. No, no. No, we coach, we help. It's the privilege of being part of a family. And we do it in love and grace, but we do it. We're trying to raise arrows. Psalm 127 sp- speaks of, 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 of parents, older generation, uh, fashioning, then shooting arrows. Children, next generation, like, are like arrows, like, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. The older generation, we're not the older generation just marking time. With, you know, we don't really do much in church these days and much in the greater DC area. No, we are warriors. We're, we're game on. We're thinking, how can we help raise up the next generation? Those of us in midlife, those of us in later life, when you ask someone like that in Monument, who, who, who are you? What are you? So I'm a warrior. Well, you look a bit old and wrinkly to be a warrior. And I'm a warrior. <laughs> Raising up the next generation. And you, we, as warriors, we prepare our own arrows. That's what they did back in the day. And it involves sharpening and sanding and putting a feather on them. And when someone younger, you try and put a feather on them, they go, ow, ow. You go, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me back off completely. No, you say, look, I need to help put this feather into you. Otherwise, in life, you're going to do this. We want you to fly straight, and we want you to fly true. Now, you can't press beyond a certain point with one another, but I'm saying this needs to put courage in us in terms of mentoring and helping. Maybe you have people saying to you, you invite them to a party or invite them to commit to something and you get the reply, it's in the calendar. Thank you, it's in my calendar. What do you do with that? I reply back saying, great, so glad it's in the calendar. Actually, the invitation was, can you come? the question was, can you come or not? <laughs> it's a thing in our generation, in, in our culture. It's in the calendar. It's a way of saying, I don't know if, I want to see if anything better comes up. So I'm not going to tell you I'm going to commit. It's in the calendar. And, you, and they think we're dumb enough to, to just like, oh, great, it's in the calendar. Coaching. You're invited to something, give a yes or a no. And if it's a yes, you come. Unless something comes up and you can't. But then you say, oh, I'm so sorry, something unexpected came up. I can't quite make it. Or I'm not feel, feeling well. But the point is we don't just let everything just fly by. That's what they did with Joseph. And it didn't help him. We come alongside, we, we help. Those were just two little illustrations. I'm not thinking of anybody here, particularly with those illustrations that I gave. 
themes of mentors, well, how long's a piece of string, but what did Joseph need to hear? Firstly, he needed, to, he needed coaching on how to speak about his dreams. He was just like, oh, blah, 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 blah. He, he spoke, he spoke just to anyone. It, it's better, someone needed to say to him, hey, Joseph, when it comes to deep things about your future, probably speak to just a few trusted ones. And then if you're talking to a larger group, keep it a bit more general. Uh, he needed advice on, uh, he, he needed to be taught that the, the road up is down. He had just been given two dreams, that he was on the up. He needed someone to say, great, well the Bible teaches that to be used by God greatly, you need to become a servant, be, be a great servant. Someone needed to take him to Luke 16. If you're faithful with little, you will be faithful with much. So Joseph, now start to be faithful with little. If you're faithful with natural, God will entrust you with spiritual. Luke 16 says, if you're, if you're faithful with money, God will entrust you with true riches. That's what Joseph needed to hear. That's what we all need to hear. It's a key theme of mentors. He needed to be taught that prominence is always preceded by preparation. That the high calling always needs high character. So let's start working on that now. He needed to be taught that God is more interested in getting hold of the woman or the man than he is getting the mission done because if he gets the woman or he gets the man, the mission will happen. Joseph just, it would have helped him so much. Hey Joseph, this is awesome. But you know, you know this means that God's really gonna go to work on you. High calling, high character. And third theme of mentors, we rest in God's providence, God's sovereignty. This is one of the big themes, God's providence, big theme throughout Genesis 37 through 50 in the life of Joseph. I'm just gonna touch a bit on it now, probably touch a bit on it each week in, in these episodes. But the Bible teaches that God is actively sovereign, not passively, actively sovereign in your life and over all things. And the Bible teaches that through specific declarations um, through overt declarations that God is sovereign, and it also teaches us covertly that God is sovereign. Hmm, have to look a bit closer. So overt, uh, we have scriptures like Isaiah 46, 9, I am God, I will accomplish all my purpose. Overt, Ephesians 1, 11, God works all things according to his will. 1 Timothy 6, he who is the blessed and only sovereign. It's like a trumpet. God is sovereign. Ba ba ba. Overt. Then there's these covert stories throughout Scripture that when we get to read them, we, my goodness. At first, it didn't look like God was in charge. A few chapters later, we realized that He was all along. This is one such chapter. Covert stories like this. Did you spot the chance? happenings that happen throughout this chapter. So the first one is the brothers were supposed to be shepherding in Shechem, but one of them called an audible and they moved to Dothan. So the last Joseph heard is they're in, in uh, Shechem. So Joseph shows up in Shechem and he can't find them. And then what are the chances? He meets a stranger. The stranger happened to have overheard his brother's say that they're gonna move on from Shechem to Dotham, the stranger tells Joseph that so he can actually find them. Then Reuben saves him from death. 
But then Reuben goes AWOL and he gets thrown in the pit and sold to the slaves. And Reuben comes back and says, what's going on? Well, what are the chances? that Re- what are Re- Where did Reuben go? The caravan comes at just the right time. And then towards the end of the chapter, there's that wonderful verse. Meanwhile, whilst the father's mourning, meanwhile, God was taking Joseph to Egypt. It's like, meanwhile, it's like that's the part in the song. You know, and the drummer builds up. Snare, bass drum, floor drum. Dun, 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 dun. And you go into, it's like, meanwhile. It's, the author's saying, God's at work. There's a meanwhile going on. There's a meanwhile going on. Doesn't look like it. There's a meanwhile going on. Everything needed to fall into place in this chapter if Joseph was going to become prime minister and save the known world. But if you're in the story like Joseph, you think, God, I don't think you're very providential, or if you are, you're not doing a very good job, if I may say. And uh, I think you're a bit mean also. When you're in the story, that's what you get tempted to think. When you're out of the story like us, you just see, God, you are at work. You are kindly at work. By the way, wasn't it amazing how many times God's name was mentioned in this chapter? Did you count? Zero. No mention of God. How are you doing in this season of your life? Oh, God doesn't seem to be anywhere. Welcome to his wonderful providence. No mention of God. God was profoundly at work. So if you feel like you're in a pit or being marched off in chains to Egypt, you can't see what's happening to you. There's a meanwhile going on. God's got you. He's working all things for your good and his glory. But I want answers. I need answers. You don't. They won't help. I've had enough really tough seasons to know that getting answers to the why doesn't comfort. It's the who that comforts. Man, it's just like when I say, God, I need an answer. I don't even know how my toaster works. (laughs) To think that I'm going to figure out, out of everything that is known in the world today, I probably know 0.3%. And then I think I'm going to figure out God's ultimate plans. I'm not. I, I, need, I need the who. At the end of the book of Job, Job has just gone through crisis for chapters on end. And then it comes time for the big reveal. The big reveal. And all God says to Job over the space of a few chapters is I am this and I am that. I am the one who says to these proud waves, break on this shore and go no further. I am the one who puts a crocodile on a... God just talks about himself. That was the comfort for Job. And then God restored Job's blessing. It's the who, not the why. But let's just come down to earth a bit here. How come some of us seem to have a rougher time than others? So I'm looking at some of you, and from what I know of you, Rough time. Others of you, not so much. And then we ask questions like, 
this is unfair. How can bad things happen to good people and we think we're better than we go into all kinds of crazy thinking on that? But it does, why? What, what? Well, I don't know for you. The tough times I've had, I think I've got a glimmer of understanding for some of them, but not much. But here are some options. What, why do some get picked for tougher times like Joseph? Because he gets, he gets smashed multiple times on the way to being prime minister of Egypt. Maybe... I need or you need a little bit of extra preparation because you've got a bit of an unusual calling ahead of you. And no one just drifts into a high calling in God. If you get a high calling in God, a prominent calling in God, and you blow it, many people feel it. Thank God for preparation that gets character into us, gets us steady before we... we, Because when you're at the top of the tree, you feel the wind. It's harder to stay stable. So kind is the Lord as he prepares us on the way up. Maybe that would be comforting for you. But maybe it's not that so much. Maybe the Lord is preparing you to help others. 2 Corinthians 1, it speaks about the God of comfort comforting us, that with that same comfort we can comfort others. I know some of you, you're just excellent comforters because you've been through it. You wouldn't be as good at comforting if you hadn't gone through it. So thanks for going through it. It may be 2 Corinthians 12 that Paul spoke about this thorn in the flesh, this suffering of some time that he had that God didn't take away. Paul had to live with it. And the thrust of what Paul was saying is, even though I've got this difficulty in my life, I'm drawing all the more on the grace of God. And that's a good place to be in. Self-reliant place, I've got this. Not a great place to be in. A place of, oh God, I need you daily. I'm, I'm in a bit of pain daily. Well, that memory, it just keeps coming around. Now I've got another thing to sort out. Oh, the God dependence that it can provoke in us. I remember in my dark season of cancer and chemo and my families, I, I remember a sweetness of connection with God. Just like... I haven't had outside of cancer. And it, it, it helps me even nearly 10 years on. Maybe, um, number four, maybe you just need it because you're complex. <laughs> and maybe you, you just, you kind of, for whatever reason, you just need more, need more panel beating. What's it, what do you call it when you fix a car? You take a dent out of a car. What do we call it in America? We call it panel beating in South Africa. What do we call it here? You take it to the body shop. You need more work in the body shop. You just do. <laughs> Maybe you, you need more work in the body shop because you're just more prone to marry him for the money, get into a transactional relationship with God, and God's trying to work that out of you. Maybe you're in it for... No, you're in it for you, Lord, but... Quite a bit for what you can give me. And when you go through a tough time, you realize, wow, Lord, yeah, I, I was marrying you for the money. You haven't given me much money. And it tests your relationship and gets it to a healthy place. And then the final reason is maybe the Lord is doing it to help you get clear on the glories of heaven. Romans 8 says, difficulty in this life is not worth comparing to the non-difficulty in the next life, the glories of the next life. 
and, and we, we get so focused, don't we, on planet Earth and our little lives, and, and it's often when we, we're given pain of some sort and difficulty that we find ourselves saying, you know what, I don't know, but this I know, I can't wait for heaven. And we become more heavenly-minded. As we're more heavenly-minded, more earthly good, we live with our center of gravity in the next life rather than this life. That helps us. I don't know, maybe it's some of those reasons, one of them or a combination. I doubt you'll know. But the point is, there are wonderful reasons in Scripture why God does allow difficulty to come to us. And if it wasn't for heaven at the end, when all things are made new, the restoration of all things, oh, there wouldn't be much hope. But because of that, we can celebrate through through life-giving issues, through death-giving issues, ultimately, of there's emotion and there's pain, but at a deeper level, there's a profound thanks and even celebration that we're headed to an eternity where there is no pain or suffering. Hallelujah. It's the fortress of Romans 8, 28. That wonderful scripture. Uh, A.W. Pink, uh, Romans 8, 28 says, says that God, God works all things together for good for those who love him. That's our promise. Uh, A.W. Pink, he wrote a lot on the sovereignty of God. He's actually a bit extreme on it, in my, in my opinion. Um, but here's one of my favorite quotes from him on the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is the foundation of Christian theology. It's the center of gravity and the system of Christian truth, the sun around which all the lesser orbs are grouped, the golden milestones which every highway of knowledge leads and from which they all radiate. It is the cord upon which all other doctrines are strung like so many pearls, holding them in place and giving them unity. It is designed as the sheet anchor for our souls amid the storms of life. The doctrine of God's sovereignty is a divine cordial to refresh our spirits. Brothers and sisters, let's drink deep of this keg of God's providence. It is thrilling. We have a Father in heaven who is actively engaged and there's always a meanwhile going on behind the scenes. Let's pray. Father, I ask for myself and my friends in this room, all of us in this room, I pray that we would drink deep of this divine cordial of the truth of the providence of God. I pray, God, as we go through the life of Joseph, these various episodes, we would find ourselves right within the story. I pray this, this sermon, this series title of I Am Joseph would be true, that would find ourselves so helped by this man's life. Help us to embed ourselves in it and uh, be encouraged and strengthened and stirred on by you. Lord Jesus, we pray that... Uh, the calling of your Father in heaven on each of our lives, that we would come into that. I pray for faithfulness in the general and that each of us would find and increasingly find both the journey and the destination of our specific calling in you. We pray for that in your wonderful name. Amen. 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 God bless you.